Open your Bibles this morning, please, to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 14. Matthew, chapter number 14, and we begin our reading today in verse number 22. Matthew, chapter 14, verse 22. Very familiar story. Every Christian ought to learn how to deal with the devil's deadly devices. And for the last few weeks, I've been preaching about that. The devil's deadly devices. Those who don't learn to deal with these devices of the devil will be defeated and ultimately be destroyed. We've already looked at some of his devices and we've got several yet to go, but this morning I want us to consider what might be his most deadly device, and that's doubt. Chapter 14, verse 22, And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit, and they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? In Genesis chapter number 3, we're told that the first thing Satan did in trying to bring about the fall of man was to question the Word of God. God had made it clear exactly what his expectations were. I mean, there could be no misunderstanding. And even with all of that clarity, Satan says to Eve, Yea, hath God said... Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Now the story doesn't end there. We know there was more to it than that. But notice how that it all revolved around what God had said. He added to the Word of God. He abbreviated the Word of God. He altered the Word of God. And you see the very moment that Satan can get us confused about what God has said, he's won a major victory. And that's what happened there that day. The question 
was designed by Satan to instill doubt in her mind. Have God said that ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Are you certain, Eve, that you heard him right? And so he's seeking to confuse her and to put doubt in her mind. But mark it down, Eve is not the only one who has had a problem in this area. This has been a nagging problem with people throughout all of history. And that's exactly what we see in this very familiar story that I just read here this morning. I don't want us to try to take this story apart and to examine every little bit of it. I want us to just simply get the big picture. And it's very clear that the Lord in dealing with His disciples, and understand that all of this is designed by the Lord to address the a problem of doubt in their mind. Notice that He puts His disciples in a situation where their faith is going to be put to the test. It says that He constrained them to get into a ship. That word constrain means to make necessary. Now, I don't think the Lord just bodily picked them up and put them in the ship. But the point is, He made it to be clearly known that it is an imperative that you get in the ship, that you go to the other side. So no bones about it. They knew exactly what He expected. And at His insistence, now remember, they're following Him. They are obeying Him. And at his insistence, they get in the ship and head out for the other side. And what happens? All of a sudden, they find themselves in the midst of a storm. I mean, you would think if anybody was going to be exempt from problems, surely it might be those that love the Lord, those that are following the Lord. But exactly the opposite is happening here. The Lord is intentionally putting these fellows in what appears to be harm's way. Think about it. You can be in the will of God and in a storm at the same time. You can't determine whether or not that God's in a thing by the amount of difficulties that you encounter in doing it. God designs the details of our life so as to put our faith to the test, and He wants us to understand that this is an opportunity, not an obstacle. I wish I had time to really delve into the details here, and I don't, but understand, I don't think that it was an everyday thing that Peter walked on water, do you? I mean, I don't read about it anywhere. I don't I don't remember him ever saying, well, fellas, I don't have anything else to do. I think I'll go out and walk on some water today. I mean, you just don't do things like that. But understand, had it not been for the events of that day, had it not been for the fact that the Lord put them in the ship and sent them to the other side and the storm and all of this, had it not been for that, they would have never experienced what they saw on that day. So do not look at your problems and try to determine... Is God really in this or not? Just just come to the belief that God is in it. Amen. I mean, whether it's bad, whether it's good, if you're a child of God, God is in the details of, of 
everything in your life. Nothing excluded. Now, because man that's born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble, like Job said, because we all have our problems and our difficulties, because life itself is extremely difficult, then each and every one of us can identify with this, with this story. And in this, we see the seriousness of doubt. We've already talked about diversion, how that if Satan can divert our attention away from what we ought to be doing, why he's won a major victory in our life. But some way or another, we just don't, we just don't see the significance, or maybe I should say the seriousness of doubting God. We try to explain it away. We say things like, oh, well, you know, we're all human and it's just, it's just natural to, to doubt. Especially when you're under the gun, when there's a lot of pressure on you and you don't feel good anyway, it's just natural that you have these doubts. I can remember a preacher some years ago and he made a statement during a message and he said, that if you doubt your salvation, don't worry about it. Everybody has their doubts, and everybody wonders whether they're really saved or not. I don't know what book he had been reading, but it wasn't the Bible. I don't know where he got his information, but it wasn't from God. I want you to know that the Bible teaches that we can have a no-so, not a think-so salvation that the Spirit of God Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and the Word of God was written for the express purpose that we might know that we are the children of God. Don't try to excuse your doubt away. Come to grips with the fact that where you are plagued with doubts in your life, that there's something amiss, there's something that's wrong. So what's the big deal? Well, I want to mention four things. Number one, doubt reveals our lack of faith. How, how do you measure your faith? Well, let me suggest that you measure your faith by your doubts. It's one increases or decreases that does so in direct proportion to the other. Right? Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, well, I'm a Christian. This doesn't have anything to do with me. Well, maybe it does. Because, you see, it's one thing for us to trust the Lord for our salvation. It's another thing for us to trust Him for the everyday things of life and to live by faith. And the Bible says the just shall live by faith. That's the manner in which we ought to live. But everybody doesn't. The fact of the matter is there are too many unbelieving believers. You believe that Jesus died on the cross. You believe that He'll forgive you of your sins. You believe you have a home in heaven. You are convinced in your heart that He'll keep His promise and save your soul. Now, if you don't believe that, you're in big trouble. But most of us here this morning believe that. And then we turn right around, and in regards to some other area of our life, we turn right around and begin to doubt what God says. 
These men had forsaken all to follow the Lord. These men were serious. These men loved God. And here they are, gripped by fear because they're consumed with doubt. And that's why the Lord rebuked them. Verse 31, Wherefore didst thou doubt? I mean, did you think I wouldn't get you to the other side? You wouldn't, you know, did you really think I wouldn't be there for you in your time of need? You see, Peter's problem wasn't with the wind and the waves. It was his lack of faith. It was his attitude that was the problem. It was not the external things that caused him to fail. It was what was going on internally in his heart. And you see, doubt always ends up getting us into into trouble. I mean, think about it. Doubt. Now remember, faith is simply our confidence that God will keep His Word. God says something. You see, when we talk about Christian faith, we're not talking about a blind faith that has no evidence. I mean, you've heard people say, well, I just, you know, I could never be a Christian because I've got to have evidence. And I just, you know, I'm not going to hang all of my hopes on blind faith. I want you to know our faith isn't blind. Our faith is not without evidence, folks. Our faith is based on the best evidence in all of the world, and that is the Word of God. So faith is our confidence that God will keep His promise. Like the old saying, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I mean, that's what faith is. It's just simply taking God at His Word. But but there are too many times when we begin to doubt We believe God's going to save our soul, but if Satan can sow a seed of doubt in our mind, and it can be about, it could be about a thousand different things. You'd be amazed at how many people here believe things, and they have no basis for that belief whatsoever. They, you know, just for whatever reason, they believe this and their imagination begins to run wild. And after a while, Satan has you way out there on a limb or on a tangent, totally out of the will of God, because you are imagining all of these things. How serious is this? It's serious because it's an insult to God. Think about it. If your faith is based on God's promise and you turn around and say, Oh, I know that He's going to save me. I know I'll go to heaven when I die, but I'm not sure if He's going to help me get through my financial difficulties. I'm not sure He'll put my marriage together. I'm not sure He'll give me the strength that I need to keep going day by day. And so after a while, Satan has sowed these seeds of doubt to the point that he has you right where he wants you to be. And folks, I'm saying this morning that your doubt reveals your lack of faith. And it's time that we understood that this is a serious problem. Being the good Baptist we are, we've always been very concerned about being right. Right? And that's okay. There's a word for it, and that word is orthodox. Orthodox in our doctrine. You don't hear that word used much anymore, but some churches even incorporated that name into their church name. 
Orthodox Baptist Church. Well, that's well and good, I suppose. Most people today don't have a clue what you're talking about, but here's my point. I would to God that we were as concerned about our faith as we are about being orthodox in the faith that is the body of truth that we believe. I mean, we would throw a hissy. We would have a fit. Just suppose I get up here this morning and I say, you know, folks, I've, I've just decided that the Bible does have some errors in it. That it really can't be trusted and and that we just have to be selective and try to get out of it the best that we can. Why, there'd be some of you wanting to fire me and for good reason you ought to run me out of town for me to get up here and say something like that. Or for me to stand up here and say, well, you know, I've come to the conclusion that we're really not saved by grace alone, that really it takes some works and some effort on our part to get us to heaven. That'd be terrible. That's wrong. That's misleading. And so we are so very strict about what we believe, and that's well and good. The problem is, sometimes we get real strict, overly concerned about little petty minor issues instead of the cardinal doctrines of the faith. We get all bent out of shape if everybody doesn't agree with us in regards to this matter That's really not that big of a deal. And then we turn right around and have a major failure in the area of our faith. I mean, a faith breakdown, consumed with doubt. And the same people that would criticize the preacher for teaching heresy see no problem in their life for having a lack of faith. I don't know what you think about it, but I don't know how much worse it can get than for me to insult God by saying, I don't believe you. Oh, I know you said it, there's the promise, but I I just really don't believe that. I know the Bible says I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me, but I don't really believe that. Folks, let's not insult God. Doubt reveals your lack of faith. Secondly, doubt results in fear. Look at verse number 30. But when they saw the wind, Bosterus, he was afraid and beginning to sink and cried out saying, Lord, save me. I don't need to tell you that we're living in an age that is gripped by fear. We call it, well, anxiety. We call it worry, we call it nervousness, or, or whatever. We've got all of these different names for it. But when you get right down where the rubber meets the road, and you look at things as they really are, it's nothing but fear. It's all it is. We don't say it like that. We'd rather dignify our fear that reveals our lack of faith by saying, you know, well, I, I've really been anxious about this or that. No, what you mean is you really don't have enough faith to believe that God will do anything about it. That's the problem. And listen, and you dressing it up by using some modern day term like anxiety is not going to make your failure any less serious. When faith reigns in our heart, 
We have joy. We have peace. We have hope. But what happens when all of a sudden that our faith is overwhelmed by fear and now there's sorrow, there's despair, doubt begins where faith ends and where fear follows. I don't know of anything that hinders us any more than doubt. You'd be amazed at the number of people that are paralyzed by doubt. They're afraid to try to do anything. There are people that would be afraid to sing in the choir because of fear. Not only on an individual basis, but churches do exactly the same thing. There have been a lot of doubting Thomases over the years. Every church has, I think, at least one doubting Thomas. And regardless of what the discussion is about, Regardless of what you try to do, there will always be someone that has a pessimistic attitude about it. And everyone else can stand to their feet and speak glowingly about the promises of God. And they can do everything in their power to encourage one another that we can do this. We know this is what God wants us to do. Let's launch out into the deep and God will see us through and God will help us. And there will always be some dear brother or sister, you know, that raises their hand and says something to the effect, well, you know, I don't know, brethren. After all, the Bible says we need to, we need to count the cost. And so we, you know, let's not move too fast on this. Let's be careful. And, well, you know exactly what I mean. You've, listen, you've been there, done that. You know what I'm talking about. Someone always looking on the dark side of every situation. Doubt results in fear. Number three, doubt ruins our testimony. Think about it. As Christians, what are we known for? Well, we're known for being disciples, for being followers. But one of the common words used to describe us is believer. We're believers. Believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about it. Whenever we are, are known as believers... And the world looks upon us and they see how we react to certain situations in our life and they see us overwhelmed by doubt. Don't you think they're more than a little bit confused? When those of us who are known as believers are all of a sudden doubting everything. They see our lack of faith. When they see our lack of faith, they begin to doubt our sincerity. Over in Matthew chapter number 17, there's an interesting story. And here we find that all of a sudden uh, the disciples are faced with a situation where they should have been of help and they fail. Verse 14, but when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed and oftentimes falleth into the fire and off into the water. And I brought him to the disciples, and they could not cure him. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, 
How long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. Isn't that interesting that in the first place, here is a man who has a problem son. This kid, one minute he's jumping in the fire, next minute he's jumping in the river. I mean, he's self-destructive. You just don't know what he's going to do next. This father is extremely concerned about his son. He wants to get help for his son. And he brings the boy to the followers of the Lord. I mean, listen, this is an expression of confidence on his part. If I can just get my boy to, to those Christians... If I can just get him to sit and to listen to them, surely they'll be able to to help with my situation. But they failed. They could not. They failed utterly. And the Lord said, here, bring him to me. You see, as Christians who are known as believers as people that the world is looking to for answers, and by the way, they are. I mean, if you claim to be a Christian, you claim to know the truth. You claim to be followers of the truth. You're supposed to be the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And so the world is looking to us because we claim to have the truth. And whenever we have a major breakdown, we begin to doubt the God that we've been singing about. And we begin to doubt the God that we supposedly believe in. All of a sudden, our testimony is shot. It's out the window. And Satan knows that. And Satan's going to do everything in his power to get you and I in a situation where our friends and family, our neighbors can see our failure in faith. So doubt reveals our lack of faith that results in fear and it ruins our testimony. But there's something else. Doubt also robs us of blessings. You look back through the Bible and you see time and time again where people are put to the test. You remember that Sarah and and God, in speaking to Sarah and to Abraham, He gives them a promise that they're going to have a son. And through this son, all the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. Now now keep in mind, they're, they're elderly at this point. And the Bible says Sarah laughed. I mean, hasn't God noticed lately how old we are? We can't have children. Here she is laughing at God. Now, that's bad, but it's not as bad as what Abraham does. Abraham decides that, you know, I guess God told the truth. He wouldn't lie, but he just needs a little help. And so... Now, now, now think about it. Can you imagine the dialogue between Abraham and Sarah about Hagar? That cute little hot chick. Yeah. I don't know how in the world he ever sold her on this idea, you know. Can you imagine that? But somewhere or another, they got their heads together and they come to the conclusion that, that God needs our help. So I'll, I'll just have a child by her. 
What brought all of this about? It's doubt, folks. It was doubt that caused Lot's family to perish. It was doubt that caused Jacob to cheat Esau, his own brother. It was doubt that caused Israel to murmur in the wilderness and to die there. It was doubt that caused Saul to disobey God. It was doubt that caused Peter to sink down into the waters. It was doubt that caused Thomas to grieve. Here's the point. I'm convinced that God wants to do more with us and for us than what we will allow Him to do. We're the ones that put limits on God. In fact, it says over in Psalms 78 concerning the children of Israel, it says, they limited the Holy One of Israel. I mean, I read that and I almost laugh. I mean, it seems so humorous. To think that here, scrawny little man can put limitations on the all-powerful God, the God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who has all power and wisdom and love, and that man in some way can limit God? Can it be? Indeed, it can. Because God is dealing with us on the basis of faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God, the Bible says. God wants to do more with us and for us and through us. I'm not a prophet, and I don't know the mind of God beyond the Word of God. But there have been so many times that those of us here in the church, those of us that are in positions of leadership or maybe a Sunday school teacher or whoever it is. And I think we've all imagined what God could do here. We got out of that old building over yonder by the beltway and finally here we are in a nice building in a visible location and we've got so many things going for us and God has just miraculously supplied our needs and we're just amazed moment by moment and we keep thinking, oh, of the things that God could do and I don't know what all God can do. Let your imagination run wild. Could it be that in a year or two that this building wouldn't be anywhere near large enough and we've got to start building more buildings? And what, what could it be? Well, I can't see into the future, but I believe this with all of my heart, that if we get together and we all try to imagine what it is we want to see God do here in this place. I don't think we'll get anywhere close to what God wants to do in this place. And the thing about it is, we are the only one that can limit Him in doing it. Most of us take great precautions to make sure that nobody breaks into our home and steals our our goods. I mean, we've got burglar alarms, we've got burglar bars, we've got watchdogs, we've got guns and guns and more guns. And I mean, I love that one commercial where, where you know, Gunny, that's the old ex-Marine, you know, and he hears a bump in the night and he gets up and he gets his Glock out from his lockbox under the bed and 
it's dark and somebody's making their way up the stairs. And he turns and he looks at the camera and says, Somebody broke into the wrong place. <laughs> now, we've got a lot of those places, I'll tell you what. We don't want anybody coming in, taking our valuables from us. The amazing thing is, although we would not think for one moment about allowing a thief to enter our home and to take whatever he wants, why then do we entertain doubt in our mind that robs us of much more than earthly treasures? So how important is this? Well, Ephesians chapter number 6, and Paul is speaking about the warfare that we're engaged in. Remember, we're talking about Satan's deadly devices. And Paul says, we, don't, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and the powers of the rulers of darkness and high places and all of these spiritual adversaries, in other words. But listen to what he says as he speaks about the different parts of the armor. Verse 16, above all. Did that get your attention? Above all, do you reckon that he meant anything by that? Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all of the fiery darts of the wicked. Now let me try, in just as few words as possible, to sum all of this up, because I want you to leave here understanding how important faith is, how serious doubt is. You see, faith affects every area of our life. Faith in God inspires our heart. It improves our behavior. It increases our courage. It ignites our passion. It inflames our zeal. It impresses our neighbor. Listen, it will even improve our health. Just about everybody here takes medicine for something. Some of us take several different kinds of medicine. And that's all well and good. I mean, we, we need that evidently. But I'll tell you something far better than any pill that you can ever take is a good dose of faith in the Word of God. That'll do more for you than anything that man has ever invented. You see, those that truly trust God love Him, and they fear Him, and they obey Him, and they serve Him, because faith in God changes our outlook in regards to everything. It enables us to overcome anything. Give me 30 seconds. Listen carefully. Christians do not have to live defeated lives. Paul said that we are more than conquerors through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen to this. John, the apostle, said, For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. Aren't you glad you can be an overcomer? And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? In a few weeks, it'll, I will enter into my 46th year in the ministry. And every step along that journey, Bev has been right there by my side every step of the way. 
And I could stand here for the next hour and talk to you about the challenges that we have faced, the conflicts that we've been through, and the times that we were so very confused. Will God do this and will God do that? And how in the world is all of this going to turn out? And let me just assure you of this one thing based on that experience. You can trust God. He's trustworthy. He'll never, ever fail you. Don't doubt it. Believe it. Let's stand together. Father, there are those here today more than likely that have never trusted Christ as their Savior. And I pray today that the Holy Spirit will move up and down the the aisles of this congregation and speak to hearts and help folks to understand today that by simply, just by simply trusting in His shed blood, they can be forgiven and become a part of your family. And I pray they'll do that. Others today, Lord, that have been saved, but they've been fighting, as it were, And because of the pressure and because of the temptations and the weakness of the flesh, they've caved in and began to even doubt the things you've promised to do. Help us today to take the shield of faith and walk onto the battlefield. And not give in and not let up and not turn back until we've overcome the challenge that you've set before us. For we beg it in Jesus' name. As we stand.